We are on our part four of our forward series when we're talking about moving forward. Now, the Bible tells us that two or three, or I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Thank you. The Bible says that two can't walk together unless they agree. And one of the fundamental things, if you're still kind of hanging out on the fringes of Celebration Church and you're still kind of trying to decide, do I want to hook up with these movie church people or not? And um, do I like these folks? Do I like this Brandon guy? Um, well, this is a precedent. You're going to have to understand this concept of moving forward because that's a baseline thing that we're not about. We don't want to be stale Christians. Now, I'm not determined how fast you've got to move. Some of us move at turtle paces. we just a little slow and steady wins the race, and that's fine. Others are just like a bottle rocket and just whoosh, hungry for God and just eating up everything they can. And that is great, too. The point is, is continually to move forward, to have your, our hearts open to God and say, God, I know you want more from me, and I want that, too. And just simply have that attitude towards God. And that's a baseline here at Celebration Church. And this series is about that. It's about how we cultivate that and get that going in our lives. See, as we move forward with God, we will likely experience some amount of failure along the way. And we must choose right now how we're going to respond. See, today we're talking about failing forward. And as believers, we have these big old fat huge standards of what a believer, a good Christian ought to be. And then... We've got what happens. And then we've got the disparity of how do we deal with that, you know? Do we not care and just kind of slough it under the rug? Or do we get all uptight and legalistic about it and, like, beat people over the head? What, how, do we, how do we deal with this? Because things don't always go the way that we know that they kind of ought to go. So we're looking today about failing forward because you're if you're really going to grow in christ you're going to deal with some setbacks and you're going to have to be prepared in advance of how to deal with that or it's going to knock you off course it's going to yank the rug out from under you and we don't want that proverbs twenty four sixteen says for though a righteous man falls seven times he rises again now look at that a righteous man falls in our little Christian mindset thing, we think righteous men don't fall. If, whoop, we thought he was righteous, but then he fell. So obviously he wasn't. He wasn't righteous. He wasn't all of this. Wasn't what I thought he was. No, this is scripture. For though a righteous man falls seven times, here's what keeps him in this place of righteousness. He rises again. He keeps his eyes on God. He doesn't let the failure detract him from keeping his eyes on God, from moving forward. He gets back up. He says, but the wicked are brought down by calamity. See, when we're knocked down and knocked down for good, that's when we step in to that area of wickedness. That's when we're not being right with God. And these things, these setbacks, sometimes these failures can be from our own design. And sometimes these falls, we can end up on the ground, and a lot of times it's life happened to us. And then we still, how do we deal with this? this I'm a place I did not plan to be. Now, uh, my, my oldest son, I think, is hiding around up there. And uh, when uh, he was not born yet, 
Judy was pregnant with Kenan and was real pregnant with Kenan. And um, I was uh, 21 and acted 12 and uh, was not always making wise decisions. And so we were lived in some apartments and they had these little planter boxes out front and Cutie was real pregnant and she had to go down the sidewalk, down the steps and come back over and our car was just right in front of our apartment. So I just cut through the planter box and jumped down and get in the car. She'd make her little pregnant way down to the car. And so for one time she's standing there and I've already shared with y'all that I'm not the most athletic person on the planet. So I've not had any gymnast training or any of that kind of stuff. I'm not a stump man. Um, but periodically, I'll get just these insane moments that I think I'm athletic. And I just totally delude myself. And in, I had one of those moments. As she stood there, and uh, the, the, there was a, it was clear on the other side of her, and I just had this awesome vision of, for some reason, of me jumping over my wife and landing on the other side. Just my pregnant wife, my very pregnant wife. I just, you know, straddle her and just jump over the top of her and land on the other side. And it's stupid, I know, I'm, all the women are like, moron. <laughs> what happens to men? They're stupid. And so, it, there is. There's just some sort of stupid gene in this. I don't know. And uh, so, I told her. I said, babe, I'm going to jump over you. No! And she knew. She, had one del- she didn't all of a sudden have grand delusions that I was some sort of star athlete. She knew. And she said, no, don't you dare do it. And I said, no, seriously, just stand still. I said, I'm up here. I'm way up here. And I just don't have to jump real high. And I'll just jump over you. And so I, she's still arguing me. Don't you dare do it. Don't you dare do it. And so I launched. And I jumped. And I was going to go over her. And I think there's that thing of you either go big or go home. And I should have stayed home. Because there was this thing in me that I knew I shouldn't have jumped. So I didn't jump with all the gusto I probably should have jumped with. And then my wife just sees me hurling at her. And she throws her hands up. Now I had planned on jumping over her this height. Not this height. So, and she throws her hands up. She stops my momentum, and I just start coming down. All 180-something pounds of me, at that time, I'm way more than that now, but, and just start coming down, and I can't, there's nothing to grab, there's nothing to, and I'm just, oh, it's just panic is ensuing, and I just, just squish my wife to the ground. And she was big pregnant, and I knocked the wind out of her. It was just horrible. She's laying on the ground, and she can't breathe. And I'm just freaking out. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to pick her up. And she is mad. And my wife is one of those, if you hurt her, just run. Even if she loves you. Because her instinct is just... And then she'll go, oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But initially, it is like crazy bear woman. And so I'm like trying to help her, trying to defend myself. And uh, so we had been arguing about what she was going to eat at dinner that night. Because I wanted her to eat lean. 
And so I told you, you can eat whatever you want, baby. <laughs> and I picked her up. She was breathing all right. But there, for a moment, laying on the ground, was two people. We had had a failure. Had, there was some falling that took place. There was one person who was falling of no cause of their own. But still, having to deal with setback, that was not her plan. And then there was a moron laying next to her that was there because of their own, their own idiocy. And that happens all the time in our lives. We have to deal with both of them. Sometimes we're the one that life ambushed us and knocked us down and we're saying, no, 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 no. And then things just happen anyways. And other times we're the deranged moron that throws ourselves off. And then we find out halfway, I should have not done this. And both scenarios have to be dealt with. Both of them have to be processed. Both of them have to get going. And when, see, failure can either be a hitching post, or it can be a guidepost. Once failure comes into our lives, we're either going to lay hold of it and tie off, and then now I'm defined by that. Bless God, my wife did not, from that point forward, say, this is my husband, Brandon. He's an idiot. He jumped on top of me. He squished me when I was pregnant. Thank God she did not do that to me. She did not define me. She did not make me stand on the corner and say, I hold a sign that said, I knocked my wife down and knocked the wind out of her when she was eight months pregnant. It did not create this, this hitching post. Because it will either be, failure will be one of the two. We'll either identify with it and tie off to it and have it be stuck with that thing our whole lives, or we're going to be able to use it as a guidepost and say, don't do that. Guess what? We had four more pregnancies. I never tried to jump over her ever again. <laughs> I've never tried that and will not ever try that. It's one that we've learned from. But we, we'll, we'll find ourselves in one place or the other. See, Galatians 3, 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor. See, this thing where we find ourselves failing, we look at the law of God. And we find that we missed. And we, then we, if, we're, if we're not careful, we'll get all under condemnation. But all it was ever given for was to be a tutor and show us where we've made our mistakes. We can't correct what we don't know. We can't fix what we don't know. So the, the Word of God shows us this is what God expects of us. This is where life is. And that's all God wants. God isn't trying to choke life out of us. He's trying to get life into us. And so He says, look, this is where the life is. So that's, what, that's where we need to go. When we miss that, it's a tutor. It's teaching us. It's bringing us to Christ that we might be justified through faith, that we can say, oh, wow, God, your word is true, and now I'm going to align my life to this. And I'm not going to deal with that failure again. I'm going to align my life to this, and then I'm going to be able to live in this blessing of life. Both of my boys, my two younger boys, we're playing baseball for the first time, and we're having a lot of fun with it. Um, bless God, they don't ba play baseball like I did, and they, they've got some of their mama's athletic ability, and we're having a, having a good time out there. Both of them um, got on teams a little late, and um, Weston is playing on the, the minors and playing on the, the A's out there in Northern Little League. And when things started out, it was not things weren't looking too good. After our first two games, um, you put our op opponent's scores together, and it was 26 runs. 
you put add all of our runs up from those two games, and it was one. Rough start. I mean, it was just there were just whoopings happening out there. I mean, we just didn't know what in the world was going on. And I love the way these coaches, especially one in particular, began to deal with these with these young men. And they they were having these failures. They were they were losing that they were gaining skills as they went. And they began to celebrate only losing by four. Whoa! We've never lost by so little! This is awesome! We're getting better! You know, and so you could chalk it up as though I still missed. You know, and too many times you and I as believers were like, man, I'm still, you know, I wanted to read, I wanted to read all the way through this, through this through the Bible, and man, I missed like 25 days this last year. But instead of going, wow, I've never read that much of the Bible in my life. And celebrate the wins and go, wow, now I can move forward. Now I can do this. We may still not be exactly where we want to be, but we're getting closer. We kept having, we, finally we got down to where we lost by one. And that was so exciting. Kids are like high-fiving. We lost by one. This is so great. Other teams are going, you lost. Why are you celebrating? No, you don't see where we've been. Now, Thursday, Thursday was an epic game. It was the late game, 8 o'clock game. That front was blowing in. It was chilly. It was cold out there. And we come in to the last inning. We were the last at, um, at bat. We were the home team, and we were down 5-4. to four. And we were at the point in our lineup that things get a little weak. Hadn't had any... Hadn't had any wins with those batters yet. And uh, so we get a couple of outs in a hurry. And we're sitting there with five, five to four. And then we've got this, this, our smallest player, and he's never left home plate. He goes out and goes back and goes out and goes back. And so he's standing there, and boy, we're all rooting him on. And a wonderful thing happened. He got hit by the ball. <laughs> and he got to first. He got walked. It was wonderful. And he's on first base, and that little dude can run. And he stole second. And then the, our, the next guy up to bats and that hadn't, got, hadn't got a hit either, and we're like, okay, this isn't going to work. He, uh, wild pitch. That little guy steals third. They try to throw him out at third and miss, and he just keeps on trucking home and crosses that home plate and ties it up. I'm telling you, those little boys went berserk. I mean, it was a win right there because it was a tie. And then we end up getting one more, boom, get one more run. And we got, they got to finally, at this point, they don't go out unvictorious. They have one win under their belt against a team that had smoked them earlier in the year. And so it was so exciting. But with this, we, they had the right attitude that they were using those failures as guideposts. Okay, we're still missing, but we're doing better. Okay, this isn't what we want, but we're, we're doing better. And you and I have to do that. We can't hitch up to it and define ourselves as failures, or we will stay there. You know, you can only be a San Angeloan if you live in San Angelo. You can only be from the Metroplex if you live in the Metroplex. You can only be from San Antonio if you live in San Antonio. You can only be a failure if you decide to live there. Otherwise, it's just a side trip. 
You're just passing through. It's just something that happened, something dealt. And then you just move on. That's not where I live. That's not my name. I don't, I'm not a failure. I may be dealing with some failure, but that is not who I am. Romans 7, 24 through 25. <clears throat> Here is Paul saying, what a terrible failure I am. Who will save me from this sin that brings death to my body? I give thanks to God. He will do it through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, I am a slave to this <clears throat> law of sin. He's dealing with these issues. We don't know what his issue is, but he's dealing with it. And he's feeling like a failure. But he says, what am I going to do? Who do I cry out to? I cry out to God. He's the one that brings the victory. We have to stay focused on God. The next thing in dealing with failure is do not judge yourself mid-project. We're all still in process. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I don't know about you, but I'm between those spots. He began the work. He's faithful to complete it. I'm mid-process. And you and I have to give each other and ourselves permission to be mid To be in a place where maybe things aren't exactly the way they should. <clears throat> the way that we want them to be. 1 Corinthians 4. Is Paul talking again. And he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't make me innocent. I'm not innocent, but I have a clear conscience. How does that happen? Because Jesus took care of the guilt part. Jesus took care of it, cleared his conscience. He's dealt with it. It's under Christ. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. And that means not even yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to do His work, His corrective work in you. Don't you be beating yourself up. You are mid-project. It's not done. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden and in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. One of my favorite shows is the Extreme Makeover. I love where they go in, the home edition. They go in and just totally transform people's homes and bless them. It's just an exciting thing. And Ty, the host, he has this secret room that is going on the whole show. And you don't get to see what's happening inside that room. You don't know what the deal is. You don't get to judge it mid-process. He's allowed to create and to work and then only reveal the finished product. See, you and I aren't being worked on by God in a little secret room over here. We're still having to deal with our loved ones. We're still having to deal with our coworkers. We're still having to deal with all these other people. We're not in Ty's secret room. It would be so nice for us to be able to come to that place where, okay, we're going to let God finish me all the way, and then, well, woohoo, the big reveal. Here's the new me. But no. We see it when there's some tear-down parts where we're having to correct some straight and crooked two-by-fours and level the floors and do all of that. We see each other mid-process. And the thing is, we ought to find encouragement from it. That if God is reshaping this person's life, He's going to reshape mine. He's going to create me in who I'm supposed to be. James 1.4 says, But let patience have its perfect work 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I've loved this scripture for years and years. We have to be patient. We have to let patience have its perfect work. Man, we're so, I know on so many things, I'm just so ready. I'm so ready. But they're in process. So we stay with the process. Because if we're impatient, we'll do one of two things. We'll either try to push it too fast, or we'll get frustrated and punch out. Say, I'm done. I'm going to move up the street. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do something else. And we have to let patience have its perfect work. And we've already quoted this, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. If we are breathing oxygen, if we're here on this planet, God is still fine-tuning us and working us into his image. We're still works in progress all the way. So we, that's why we have to love each other, and be patient with each other, and constantly provoke each other forward. You moving forward? How are things going? You taking some steps? That needs to be the question. That needs to be where we're at. And see, in this process of that, we also have the privilege and should create a culture of moving past failure in our own lives by forgiving failures in others. We create a culture of moving past failure for ourselves by helping other people do the same thing. And we do that with forgiveness. We don't hold this mess over their heads. Matthew 18, 20 through 22 says, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Awesome! Two or three come together in Christ's name, there's God's presence. Peter picks up on something. Oh, wow. God, for me to experience your presence, I've got to be with some other people. You know these people, God? You know what I have to deal with here? Are you serious? And that's why he comes up with this question immediately. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, I'm, I'm going to enjoy your presence when I'm hooked up with two or three people. But man, those people are going to irritate me, and I'm going to have to forgive them. How many times do I have to do that? How many times before I go and just find somebody new to hang out with? And then, gee, and then he says, seven times? Ooh, that sounds like a lot. Somebody hurts me, and I forgive them. And then they hurt me again, and I forgive them. And I go through that process seven times. Wow, that just sounds like a lot. Seven times, God, that sounds good to me. And then Jesus says, nope. Not seven times, but 77 times, or seven times 70. Which is just... Way more than you can wrap your mind around, boy. Just keep on forgiving. Just keep on doing it. I love it with, uh, I believe it was uh, Lyndon when she was real young that we would have to bring, you know, correction to her on a regular basis to just do with toddlers. And we'd have to bring her correction and we'd sit there and have that, the little hug moment at the end of dealing with that issue. And she would look at us and go, I forgive you. <laughs> Which sounds so funny. You know, you ought to be saying, thinking that, you know, she needs to be asking, will you forgive me? But she un somehow inwardly understood 
that even in that, that it's so easy for us to get upset with somebody bringing correction. If we're really going to get past this, I've got to forgive you too. I'm not going to hold this, oh, my daddy's mean, oh, my mama's mean because they got on to me or did this. You and I have to be ready to forgive. We have to be ready to walk in that. Matthew 6, 12 says, forgive us our debts. Oh, there's a standard here. Oh, let's just hang. Let's just cut that last part out. Can we agree on that? I don't like this last part. As we also forgive our debtors. Oh, wow. There's a standard here. Man, we have to create this culture of moving past failure by just having this no-failure bubble around us. I'm not going to let your failure hang on around me. I ain't going to let my failure hang on around me. I just got this no-failure zone all around here. Somebody walks in with failure, and we're going to forgive them, help them process, and move on. We have to do that. Otherwise, we will just get stale and stuck where we trip up. Luke 6, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And then here in Ephesians 4, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. You and I, as we begin to speak in love and deal with each other in love, It helps us to grow in Christ. But it's got to be this attitude of loving forgiveness. The last thing is that we have to refuse to excuse. Because so many times when failure happens, that's what we want to do. Wow, we want to reach into our back pocket, pull out our list of excuses, and start making all the reasons why this happened in our lives and probably going to happen again. So therefore, it's it's all cool. We'll just pull out our excuses here and... All will be all right. Luke 14. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet. This is representative of God. And invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And then there's this whole list of these other excuses that they begin to make. But ultimately, ultimately, if you'll notice what they're being invited to, they're being invited into the presence of this one that put on the banquet and to enjoy all that he's made available. And ultimately, the thing that's standing in the way of being in the presence of the one who's done this and enjoying all that's been available is the excuses. Said, so remove the excuses, and they can step in to what's been provided, and enjoy the presence. Ultimately, our excuses we try to give God—they're simply the barrier that's keeping us from God's presence and God's best for us. We finally deal with and refuse to excuse our actions, refuse to excuse this, and then we can finally get over this mess. The excuses are an attempt to be righteous and innocent before God. God, I blew it, but I'm cool because of this. You know, my wife could have said, you know, God, you know, I'm mad at my husband, but you saw him try to jump over me and knock me to the ground. You saw how stupid that was, Lord. And so I'm cool at being mad at him because he was so foolish. No, she still, I put her in a position 
where she still had to deal with forgiving me and getting over it and not holding that over me, even though it wasn't her fault. We can't make excuses and shift blame. We still have to deal with things. See, when we finally accept responsibility for guilt, then that gives us the opportunity to move on. Otherwise, we are totally, totally stuck. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In that list are his weaknesses, things he did to himself. Then there's insults and injuries and all these other things. These are things other people did to him and life did to him. Stuff that are just these all types of setbacks and failures. And he says, God's grace is enough. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And I'm going to rely on him. And all of a sudden, I'm going to tap into a strength to be able to deal with this that I I couldn't deal with. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It is a beautiful thing. And and getting to be a minister, you get to be with people in some of the most wonderful parts of their lives, of weddings and and baby dedications and all that. But you also get to be with people in the toughest parts of their life, some of the unpleasant parts of their life, some real ugly setbacks. And it's always amazing to me to watch God's grace come in and then be able to be strong in spite of, Not because they're so strong, but because God is. Because His grace is so big and so awesome. We can't be set back. God's grace really is enough for us to get past the bumps and failures in our lives. We just simply have to stay focused on Him. And God will carry us all the way through. We have to. We have to stay moving forward. If we're going to experience that he is faithful to complete it part, we have to stay in process. We have to keep moving forward. Now, some of you here today need to get jumped in at point A. Jump 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 in at point A. 